the angel said to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. That's in Luke 1. In a dream, Joseph receives a message uh, from an angel. It's interesting, isn't it, that God sends an actual angel to Mary and an angel in a dream to the man. You can make what you want of that, possibly. Men sleep a lot, perhaps. Perhaps that's the reason. But Joseph gets this message. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That's in Matthew 1.20. And the angels, of course, uh, come to the shepherds. The shepherds heard the angels say, do not be afraid. I bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That's in Luke 2. So we know, if, you, if you're a Christian, if you have faith, if you've been around church, you know that the presence of Jesus and the good news of the gospel should calm our fears. It's a message of hope. It's a message of God saying, don't be afraid. You can know freedom from fear. The reality is, for all of us, in one way or another, life is filled with fear-inducing situations and moments. Some of those fears are really big, some of them are really small, but they're all really real. And fear will rob you of an inner peace that God wants you to enjoy. And so when the angel said, don't be afraid, it's not kind of a vague hope or an aspiration, I think. It's actually in the form of a command. The angel is saying, don't be afraid. They're not saying, don't be afraid if you want to. It's actually stronger than like that. It's not, don't be afraid if you feel like it or you're able to. It's a command. Don't be afraid. And the great news with that is that every commandment of God comes with the assurance that it's possible, that it can happen. God doesn't issue orders that we're incapable of fulfilling because, of course, it's he who helps us be free from fear. God's perfect love casts out fear. And the reason I'm kind of dwelling on this whole aspect of fear is because this year, 2018, I believe is a year when God's calling us to step up and to step out. And those are two phrases and thoughts that often instill in us a sense of anxiety or fear. What's that going to mean? The great news is that, of course, it's not in our strength, but it's in his mighty power that he's calling us. Because this year, I think we're all going to face giants of all sorts, perhaps financial, maybe emotional or circumstantial. Some of them will, may well manifest in people that you know that you're working with. And there'll be giants that can cause you to step back in fear, to step back in terror, to feel overwhelmed, to feel paralyzed by indecision, to feel paralyzed by feeling crushed. They'll feel like people, towering, terrifying giants like Goliath that stand in front of you. And I think there's going to be challenges individually and corporately for us as we press into what God has for us this year, which makes me really excited because I think the enemy comes on the attack when God is wanting to do great things. We see that right the way through Scripture. When God sets out on an endeavor to achieve new glorious ends, the enemy does everything he can to thwart it, but with God all things are possible. Now, here's a question. Anyone this year made any New Year's resolutions? Go and be honest if you have, or honest if you haven't. <laughs> Just basically be honest. A few of you have made some. I'm never quite sure about New Year's resolutions. I think they're kind of good, aren't they? I mean, in a sense, New Year's just another day. It's another year, isn't it? But there are sometimes helpful markers that mentally help us take fresh starts. And so I guess 2018 is a good time to do that. 
But the thing that I've been sensing from God, perhaps, is rather than simply making New Year's resolutions, I want to suggest something which may be a little bit more helpful, maybe more important for us. Certainly what God has been speaking to me about. Because certainly for me, whenever I've made New Year's resolutions, they quite quickly fall away. Um, So instead of New Year resolutions, how about New Year realignments? And I'll explain what I mean by that. God's been speaking to me quite a lot about being realigned. What does it mean to be realigned? Well, if you kind of break a bone and it's out of uh, kilter, it needs to be realigned in order for it to heal properly and for it to be restored, to be strong. If things kind of get, get out, kind of you, you're on a path and you're walking the wrong way and you might only be out by a degree or two, but a couple of miles down the road, suddenly you find yourself way off the track from where you intended. Isn't that often the tr- truth in our own individual lives with God? We, we don't intend to go on the wrong path, but we just sort of get a bit out of kilter and suddenly we're off the track from where God perhaps called us to be. And so whether it's our human relationships with other people or whether it's um, the ways of our lives and the way that we're living, But most importantly, in terms of our alignment with heaven's will and heaven's purpose, I'm suggesting that 2018 is a great time to reset our alignment, the plumb line with heaven, and for us to individually say, God, is my life where you want it to be? Is my sense of direction and purpose going where you are calling me to go? The image that God gave me uh, a couple of months ago was that sense of, and I was talking with some other church leaders about this, when you set out on a journey... It's easy to just set off in the direction that you know is right. And that's true perhaps in our own individual lives or us as a church community. You set your bearing and you head to where you believe God's leading you. But because of circumstances and because of kind of the nature of the land that you're walking on and obstacles that get in your way, it's really easy to just slightly readjust where you're going. And before you know it, you're actually off the path that was intended. And of course the right way of getting back on the path is by constantly checking your compass constantly taking a bearing, making sure you're going back the right direction, that you're aiming to the right point. I sense God's calling us all to do that in this season, to check our realignment with heaven, with his purpose. And I sense that true is true for us at St. Matt's. I'm aware some of you maybe haven't been around St. Matt's for very long. Some of you have been journeying with us for quite a while. I believe that 2018 is a year of a watershed change for us in St. Matt's and in the parish. And I'll try and explain very briefly what I mean by that and why. A few of us um, kind of trusted people have been around the team for quite a long time. We talked about it this week. When I, when I took over at St. Matt's uh, about three and a half years ago, uh, God gave me a picture of a little bit of what it was like. This building had not really been used as a church since the 70s and 80s, and it had kind of run into disrepair. It was in a bit of a mess. Whitcomb didn't have a full-time vicar. They just had um, a part-time priest that was retired and, and managed some of the services at St. Tom's. This church effectively would cease to be a church. They were even looking about trying to sell it, turning it into all sorts of things, from a gym to offices to climbing walls, all sorts of things. And when I was asked by the bishop if I'd consider coming down being a uh, kind of church leader here in the parish three and a half years ago. It felt a bit like inheriting, being given this glorious super tanker that had been abandoned at sea. A bit of a rusting hulk that was kind of floating just about but was unloved, unmanned and no one was quite sure what, it, what its purpose was anymore. It didn't have any cargo on it. It was just there, this big lump floating in the sea. And the thought of taking over something like that was a little bit terrifying. 
If any of you have been anywhere near a super tanker, they're super big, enormous. And I think the days of one person just kind of leading churches aren't very helpful anymore. And so when I came here, I said to God, Lord, I'm willing to do it, but I want a kind of team of musketeers to be around me, a a group of people who can trust, who we can live for one another, and we can laugh together, and we can cry together, and we can celebrate together, and we can begin to model family together and be family together in this vast kind of hulk in order to try and create something which is more than just an institution or a thing. And God very graciously gave a few people to come, and you know, many of you are here tonight, and, and that number was added to. And we began to begin to love this super tanker. We began to decorate it, and Peter and others began to clean it. You wouldn't believe how dirty it was. We, we forgot how filthy it was. I mean, it's not great now, but it was grim. The toilets, the corridors, the kitchen, years of unlove, beginning to kind of make it watertight, finishing water, waterproofing the ceiling, getting the heating believe it or not, working. It is working, just. Beginning to love this thing, beginning to get this boat watertight, beginning to get it something that actually could serve a purpose and could carry cargo and could have a purpose and a destination. And it feels like for the last three and a half years it's been about doing that, getting this building, getting this community, getting this whatever it is God's building here, a sense of watertightness and a ship that can carry others and can go somewhere and do something. But 2018, it feels different. 2018 feels like we've done that journey and now God is asking us to set out on a purpose, on a mission into his plans and purpose. And that, that I think, will unfail. Uh, will, 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 that will become unveiled over this year. And we want to explore what that means together. But really, what it really means is about firing up the engines, setting a new course and setting out into God's mission into this community and beyond. Being a missional body, a body that reaches out with God's love to the least, the last and the lost. And so the way we want to direct this boat is, is kind of more and more as family. And so rather than kind of having a, a leadership team, which is what we sort of had in a sense, trying to, which is a group of friends, we want to enlarge that. We want to invite, invite others to become part of that process and that conversation, to invite others to help us steer and sense what God is call, call, calling us to stand in, step into. And rather than just deciding what that is, we want to do that through prayer, through just dwelling with our Father, through worship and prayer and listening to him so that we catch his heartbeat. So it feels like we're in a time of transition, time of realignment with God's purpose now, so that this church, this building, but more importantly, when I say church, I mean the people of God who dwell here can press into more of what God has for us. One of the things that we're going to look at over the next few months is what it means to be the body of God the people of God, what it means to see his body raised up, how we can step into the ministries and callings that he's given to us as evangelists and teachers and pastors and prophets and apostles, the calling that we have to be sent ones, what might that look like for us as a body? But for us to be willing to realign, to change direction and move into what God has for us, corporately but also individually, I think it has to begin in our own hearts to say, Lord, here I am. I want to be aligned with your will and purpose in my life, in my family, in my friendships, in the place that I'm studying, the place that I'm working. God, I want to be obedient to you. And where there are fears in my life that that hold me back from stepping into your purpose, I want those to be overcome. We heard in a passage from Ephesians 6, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. See, there's all sorts of giants that are going to try and assail us and stop us from being obedient to God's purpose. 
Because you are incredibly powerful to God's kingdom. God wants to use you as light. God wants to use you as salt. And he's put power within you. See, often we feel really weak and insignificant. But if you love Jesus and you have a pulse tonight, only you can answer that right now as I look around, then you have the Holy Spirit in you. And the Holy Spirit is dynamite. Literally, the word is dunamis. That's where we get our word dynamite. Dunamis, the power of God, is dynamite within you. And therefore, you are a threat to the kingdom of darkness. The enemy wants to silence you, to still you, to overwhelm you. And he'll do that in all sorts of different ways. But one of the ways he'll do that is with fear, because fear paralyzes us. Fear stops us speaking out. Fear stops us taking a stand. Fear stops us stepping forward, saying, here I am, Lord, I'll go, send me. Fear makes us cower. Fear makes us feel overwhelmed. Fear makes us feel that we're going to die. So fear makes us shut down. But Ephesians 6 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord. Not in your wisdom, not in your great theology, not in your human strength, but be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. That's the good news. That's why we don't need to be afraid. And a man, I think, who understood what it was to trust God and to trust his mighty power, even when the odds were stacked against him, was David, King David. I'm a worship leader. I love David. I love the Psalms. I love his heart. And he was a man after God's own heart. And if fear, going back to my analogy early on, is like this snake venom that paralyzes us, then David's Psalm 27, I think, contains an exceptionally effective antitoxin if applied to our hearts. And if we catch what David seemed to have caught. Because in this psalm, with broad kind of brush strokes, this shepherd king of Israel meets fear face to face at his own front door with two questions. Right back at the beginning, you heard Tom read it. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? Because that's the question in our life. Who are we really going to be afraid of? Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? And he slams the door in fear's face with this declaration in verse 3. My heart will not fear. In spite of this, I shall be confident, he goes on to say. See, he's recognizing that fear's real. Fear's there. Fear's in his face. But he's saying, I'm not going to yield to fear. I'm not going to be afraid of fear. I'm not going to give in to fear and let my heart be overwhelmed. My heart is not going to fear. And he's not saying that, I think, because he thinks he's a mighty warrior. Remember when he meets Goliath? What he says about Goliath? He's not fighting Goliath because he knows he can easily take him in a cocky kind of way. He says to him, you know, you come against me with spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. My God fights for me and with me. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Then, Just like the boat captain that I spoke about that irritatingly was humming and whistling, which kind of in a weird sort of way, I suppose, gave me a bit of hope that we weren't actually going to die. You know, but I thought we were going to die. I thought, you know, the possibility of death or at least needing to change my trousers was a real reality that day. It was, I've never been so scared at sea in my life. David seems to whistle and hum to himself in Psalm 27 
as he walks back into the reality of his circumstances. And let's remember, David faced some horrendous times of thinking he was going to be killed, thinking that Saul was going to overwhelm him, the reality of that. But in this psalm, he seems to remind himself of the daily medicine required to help him overcome fear's relentless attacks. I know I need that in my life, particularly as we look at doing a massive rebuilding, refurbishment here where we try and make this church ready for the next generation and for future generations. We're looking at raising money, humanly impossible. We look at pressing into the local community in mission and evangelism, seemingly to people who just aren't interested in faith. Humanly, things seem really, really impossible. But God doesn't want us to be afraid. Maybe you've got a storm at the moment you're facing in your life. Maybe it's emotional, maybe it's physical, maybe it's health. Maybe it's circumstances in your workplace, or maybe it's related to people around you in your family, or all sorts of things. Or maybe you just feel utterly crushed by fear. Maybe you feel like your faith is being shipwrecked at the moment. And there's just all you can see is the storm on your horizon right now for 2018. So what was it that allowed David for example, to go and fight Goliath. Well, I think there are seven keys in this psalm that if I get aligned right in my life, then things change and I have a different perspective and fear doesn't overwhelm me. There are seven things in this psalm, and I'm going to rattle through them really, really quickly, that this year I want to get right in my life and I want us to get right as family. The first thing, if you want to write, I'll read out all seven and I'll whiz through them. So these are the seven keys if you're writing them down. First one is prayer. Second one is vision. Third one is God's word. Fourth one is God's protection. Fifth one is worship. The sixth one is rest. And the seventh one is determination. Verse 4, David says this, I ask... One thing I ask from the Lord, one thing. And he's petitioning God and he's yearning. David was a man who prayed his heart out, literally, to God. So he told him when he was fearful, he told him when he was struggling, he told him when he was angry, he told him when he was ashamed. He poured out his heart in communication, which is prayer, to his father. We need to be a people of prayer. I need to be a person of prayer. A man who yields my heart constantly and daily to God. Because when I'm in communication and when I'm in prayer to the Father, not out of ritual, not out of obligation, but because he's my papa and I need to tell him how things are right now and I need to listen to his response from heaven, then I'm realigned with my Father. My relationship is realigned. My vertical relationship with my Father in heaven is restored through prayer. This is a year when God is calling us back to prayer. Not out of obligation, but because of our love and our relationship and our longing. What are you asking of the Lord at the moment in prayer? Go back to him. Petition him. Cry out to him in prayer. Let your prayer rise from within. And you know, even as the, as the Bible says, when we don't know how to pray, we pray with groans and sighs, or we pray in the spirit, we pray in tongues, we pray with tears. Prayers can be all sorts of things. But let's keep our communication open in prayer. First thing is prayer. Second thing, vision. Verse 4 again, it says, I gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Where are our eyes? Where's our gaze at the moment? Often it's on our circumstances, isn't it? Often it's on the problem. It's the size of the problem rather than on the size of our God. And David longs to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. 
We need to be a people of vision and a people with vision. What vision do you have for your life at the moment? I believe God has, wants to give you a vision for your life. And your, the vision that God has for your life is not just surviving and getting through to the point when you retire and then you'll have some money and then you can travel and then you can die. God has a vision for your life tomorrow, a purpose for your life tomorrow. He wants you to be excited about your life because he has a vision and dreams for you. And so our vision needs to be aligned from heaven with his vision so that we see what he sees. We see where he's leading us and where he's directing us. Realign your vision with your fathers this year. The third one is God's word. Verse 4, it says this, I meditate in his temple. I seek, it says in the the NIV translation, I, I seek him in the temple. But it's talking about meditating, meditating on his word. And we need to be people of the word. We talk about being word and spirit church. Well, we, we, we love dwelling with the Spirit. We love pursuing the Holy Spirit and being a people of the Spirit. But we need to be a people of his word. So I need to be a person that gets back into God's word and dwells in him and meditate on it, chew it over, read it. There's all sorts of ways you can help you do that. There's Bible reading notes. I've been using UCB ones recently, which are brilliant, with Sarah. There's online stuff. There's the HTB stuff. There's all sorts of wonderful resources that we can help you get into God's word so that it becomes something that's alive to you. Fourth thing, God's protection. It says in verse 5, In the day of trouble, he will conceal me. Keep me safe is the translation in NIV, I think. Do you know the Father wants to shield you? It may feel like you're in a storm. Maybe you feel a bit like the disciples who are in the boat when the storm was rocking and rolling like it was with me, and there's Jesus kipping in the front of the boat. Sometimes it feels a bit like that. Jesus, why are you sleeping? Don't you care about me? Well, maybe he's a bit like the captain of my boat who knew that even though I was freaked out and my mother looked like she had died, we were actually going to be fine in about eight minutes when we got to the mount. And you quickly forget, don't you, your near-death experience that wasn't really a near-death experience. But Jesus is so kind in that story of the disciples. He wakes them up and he could say to them, guys, you're not going to die, we're fine, chill out. I was asleep, all right, let me go back to sleep. Jesus is so merciful and gracious, isn't he? He sees the disciples are really freaked out and he speaks the word and calms the storm. Jesus can speak the word and calm the storm in your life. It may not be when you want it, but God is good and he's kind and he is the God of protection. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me. He'll keep me safe. The beautiful picture of the mother hen, Psalm 91, who hides you under his pinions, under his wings. It's a beautiful image. Maybe that's what you need to have that sense of coming back under the father's wings because that's the place of safety. Outside of there, you are outside of his protection. But if you allow yourself to be gathered under his wings, then you can know his protection. Number five, worship. David says in verse six, I will sing. Since this year, this year is a year when God really wants to restore us in worship. St. Matt's was built on a prophetic word about worship and built on a foundation of worship. This year we're going to spend some evenings where we're just going to worship. As a team, we're inviting others to join us. We're going to just come, instead of having business meetings, we're just going to come and worship and pray and seek his face. On the 13th of April, Friday the 13th, put it in your diary, we're going to have a night of worship here. We're just going to, no agenda, we're just going to come and worship on a Friday night. We're going to start at 7, 7.30 and we're going to finish when we finish. Midnight, two, four, run forever. Who knows? We're just going to worship because we want to be a people of worship who dwell with him because that's when a realignment with heaven comes and we remember who he is and who we are in him. 
Worship is so key. And David was a worshipper. He loved to worship his father and encounter him in that holy place. Number six, this is really important too, rest. Verse 13 and 14 says this. I remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. You know, sometimes we just need to rest and stop. We're human beings, not human doings. And sometimes around church life, I know that sometimes churches, can the more busy they are, the more holy they feel. And, and, and you know, there's that silly card, isn't there, that sort of, look busy, Jesus is coming back kind of thing. It's nonsense. God doesn't want us to just be busy. He wants us to maybe be busy with his agenda. But resting, resting in him, resting our spirits in him, resting in him, and finding rest, taking proper Sabbath rest is really important. We need to wait and trust for the Lord. And because rest and waiting implies that you yourself don't have the solution. It's actually an act of faith, isn't it, resting? When I rest, I'm saying, God, I'm trusting you to come through. I'm not going to try and solve it. You know, I'm, I'm a bloke and I love problem solving. I, I love trying to make things right. But actually sometimes just stopping and resting is me saying, Lord, I believe you're going to bring breakthrough in this area. I'm trusting you with it. So I'm waiting for you, for your deliverance. And the last thing is determination. I believe 2018 is a year that God is calling us to step up and step out, and that will take determination. If you just keep doing the same things you've always done, then you'll keep getting the same results. But God is wanting us to see wonderful marvels this year, I believe, to see miracles, to see breakthrough, to see healing, to see transformation, to see incredible provision, and to see lives touched with the good news of the gospel. And that will take determination on our part to be willing to say, okay, as it says in verse, 14, uh, verse 13, I remain confident in this. I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land. Wait for the, for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. I believe this year is a year when God's calling us to take heart. And for me personally, I need to realign myself with heaven and say, Lord, I want to take heart. I want to be bold and strong, not in me, but in who I know you to be, so that I can have faith to step out like Joshua when God said to him, be bold and very courageous. He said to him, I'm going to give you the land, didn't he? But what did he say? He said, every place you put your foot, I'll give you the land. Which seems to say to me that if Joshua had never stepped out, the land would never have been taken. God was going to do the miraculous taking of the land, but he required Joshua to step out. So in my relationships and my friendships and my non-Christian friends, am I going to step out and be bold? Am I going to speak out against injustice that I see around me, even though that that may not be the politically correct thing to say? Am I willing to stand up for the vulnerable and the lost when others would rather we shunned them away and hid them? Are we as a church going to stand up for the vulnerable and lost in our community? For the homeless guys, the alcoholics, the young offenders? Are we going to stand up for those who are vulnerable? Are we willing to take a cause, take a step forward to take a cause? Are we willing to just speak words of love to our neighbours, to those around us? God wants us to be determined this year, to be strong and take heart. And just as I come to finish, I want to read these words um, that I found from my daily um, Bible reading notes. It said this when I was reading it. Courage isn't limited to the battlefield. Its real tests are broader, deeper, quieter, like remaining faithful when no one's looking. 
enduring pain when the room is empty, standing alone when you're misunderstood. It can be as simple as saying no, as uneventful as facing a mountain of laundry, as unheralded as the inner struggle between right and wrong. God's Medal of Honor winners are made in secret, where most courageous acts occur, away from public acclaim, when fear nips at your heels. God says, be strong and courageous. Dick Mills writes, every commandment comes with the assurance that we can perform it. God doesn't issue orders we're not capable of fulfilling. It's incongruous to say, I've lots of courage but no strength. Or I'm a powerhouse of energy but I'm afraid. Courage and strength were given to you by God. Courage motivates our will and strength accompanies our effort. So I want to finish with an image and then I'm going to play a video to finish. Some of you may have heard me share this a few years back. Uh, Often I I love connecting with God on my own out walking. And a few years ago I went and kind of took myself off to the Breckens and I went walking and I did a massive mountain walk. And I walked for about, I parked the car in a car park. I'd looked at a map. I could see that I could do a circular route of about 10 miles and I could go back, cross the river and get back to the car. And so I'd walked about eight miles. The weather wasn't brilliant, but it was beautiful through mountains, through hills, through valleys, underneath a waterfall. It was spectacular. And I got back uh, with probably about half a mile to get back to the car. And I knew I had to cross the river. And what I thought was a crossing on the map on my river was not a crossing on the map. And so I got there to the edge of a small ravine. And I stood on the edge, and the river was going through a narrow gorge, probably about from where I am to John, maybe just a tiny bit more. But it was a drop of about 20 feet down into a, a torrent of water that was swollen by the winter rains, and it was humming through white water, looked terrifying. Drop of about 15 feet and then into this water that just barreled down the valley. And I stood on the edge of this ravine and thought, I could almost step across that. But what if? Stones were a bit wet this side, a bit muddy that side. Rucksack on my back, walking boots. But what if? And I was paralysed by indecision. I'd walked probably about three hours to get to this point because I'd stopped and it was over hills and valleys and mountains and got to this point and the car is about half a mile just over the other side up the track to the car park. And I couldn't move. The thought of it, it was beginning to get dark, the thought of going back about eight miles, eight and a half miles back round just seemed impossible. But I couldn't jump across this ravine. I, you know, I stood on the edge Every time I was kind of ready to go, you kind of psych yourself up. Okay, going to go, going to go. Right, in a minute. I'm going to go in a minute. Okay, here, this time, this time, this time, this. No, a bit further back, a bit further back. I played this game for 40 minutes, I kid you not. Because every time I thought about leaping, I thought I was going to slip, going to die, fall in there. There's no one here. No one knows where I am. I'll be found, you know, down Seven Beach somewhere, washed up. And I didn't know what to do. Fear paralyzes us. Fear makes us, you can't even make the decision to go back. Maybe I should just go back. That's what fear makes us do. Maybe I should go back, like the Israelites when they're in the desert. We should just go back to Egypt. It was much easier before. You know, there there we were, at least we had food to eat. 
They were in captivity. They were treated as slaves. But they were ready to shipwreck everything they had to go back. That's what the enemy says to you, isn't it? So often when life becomes tough, when we're filled with fear, it's just so much easier before you stepped out. When you're just kind of like a non-Christian or or when you're one of those sort of apathetic Christians that used to just rock up to church every now and then. Life is so much easier. Then Why don't you just go back to that? You don't want to step out. You don't want to step up. It's too much cost. It's too much risk. Don't do it. It's crazy. You could fall in. You could drown. It's going to be awful. You're not able. You're not as spiritual as everyone else. Just give up. Just play the easy card. Go back. Go back. Go back. Go back. Stop. And we become paralyzed by fear and indecision. And we go nowhere. We become stagnant. So after 45 minutes... In a very rash moment, because I didn't know what else to do, I was, I was paralysed. I got my car keys out of my pocket. I got my rucksack off my back. I put my car keys in it and I slung it across. And of course it made it over very easily. <laughs> but in that moment I was committed. I couldn't go back because I just slung my wallet and my car keys across. Did it make it any easier jumping? I was still a bit scared because I could hear the what if. But I, I had to do it. So I took a few steps back. I virtually closed my eyes. I ran and I kind of went, oh, that was easy, wasn't it? Picked up my bag and went. Because, of course, it was easy. I like to think it was a kind of 42-foot chasm that I was leaping across, but it wasn't actually that far. Sometimes the best thing we can do is burn our boats so we can't go back. There is no going back. Do you want to go into the promised land? Do you want to be part of this family into what God's calling us to? Then I want to invite you into that adventure and that journey, which will be about stepping up and stepping out. And it might make us scared, and we might see lots of giants on the way. But God is with us and God is for us. And if he's setting our trajectory, if he's setting our compass, if he's setting our course, and he's calling us to be obedient, and we say yes to him, then we'll see great marvels and wonders and we enter the promised land with his power and his strength. I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back and listen to the lies of the enemy. This is a year to leap the divide, to step into the unknown and to see God do some great things. I'm going to play this video. It's by a guy called Steve Curtis Chapman. I heard it a few years ago when I was a young, crazy Christian. And I hope some of it's stuck, and I hope some of it will inspire us again today.